Sarah Jane Case is the powerful and kind woman behind Enneagram and coffee. She knows all things Enneagram. And on today's episode, Sarah Jane and I are talking about the best ways to love people in your life based on their Enneagram number. As I listened to her talk, I was like, oh my gosh, that is accurate. That is accurate. That is accurate based on these people in my life. And granted, not everyone is the same. And we talk about this in that episode and not everyone needs the same things, but it is so helpful for us to choose to love people enough to try to understand their personalities and their needs. So as we begin this episode, start thinking of your friends, your spouse, your children, the people in your life and what number they are. Send them the online free Enneagram test if you haven't already and listen in as Sarah Jane explains the best ways to love these people in thought and in deed. Let's dive in. Hey friends, we were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and super crazy, but when we do life together, we find that it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I love to dig deep and talk about the really raw things that people are not always comfortable discussing. And I'm also passionate about sharing practical tips that have helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insights on strengthening your faith and your marriage, parenthood, how to's, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I am Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay, and today I am here with Sarah Jane Case, the owner of Enneagram and Coffee and host of the Honest Enneagram Podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So Sarah and I were chatting just a little bit beforehand and we're both having a lot of conversations today, but I'm so thankful that this is one of them and just the opportunity to get your insight on the Enneagram. So I found the Enneagram a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, and it has completely transformed the way that I view myself, the way that I understand relationships and especially conflict in relationship. So I'm curious, how did you get started in the world of the Enneagram and how has it impacted your life and your relationships with people? When I found the Enneagram, I was actually doing creative consulting. So I was helping people in the creative industry to prevent and recover from burnout. I found the Enneagram. It was kind of like I was given this tool that helped us to skip our first six sessions, you know, where it's Mm. like, The whole first section of working together, it felt like we were doing just get to know you work and recognizing, hey, where are you sabotaging? Like, why do you keep doing the things that you do that aren't working? And the Enneagram, once we were able to accurately type, really handed us kind of, here's what, here's the fear here. Here's the motivation here. Here's what what they think they have to be. And here's some predictable behaviors that we might be able to count on. And that was just an amazing tool to have in my tool belt as a consultant. And then there was my personal journey, which as I found the Enneagram, which just a random friend told me about it. as she heard me and my boyfriend at the time, now husband talking about our relationship. 
And she was like, have you heard about the Enneagram? So we both took the test. He typed as a seven. I typed as a two. Okay. Neither of us typed correctly. So we read the, I read the description of his and it felt like I was reading my whole life story written into a paragraph, you know, mm-hmm. like, whoa, this is, this feels like weirdly invasive. <laughs> and, and, but then everyone in my life was kind of like, I don't really see you like that. I don't experience you like that. And so I second guessed kind of my impulse of knowing my type. And so because of that, it took me about two years to really come back to, no, I'm a seven. And through that journey, I became obsessed. I was already a student of people, you know, I was working one-on-one with people. And this really just took me to the next level of wanting to understand people through this specific lens. I'm grateful that it took me that long to self-type because I was able to really understand the system in ways that I might've skipped over. I might've just stopped at learning my number. Yeah. Okay. So you mistyped as a two. Oh yeah. So I am actually a social seven, which can sometimes look like a two or a one, which is what the two that I really thought I might be. And it's so interesting you bring that up because my brother-in-law actually sent me a picture the other day where he had typed as a five undeniably a five. And then a shift in his life happened and he sent me a picture and he was like, this is so weird. I typed as a six and then I think a seven as his wing. How common is that to mistype and how do you avoid doing that? It's actually incredibly common. So most tests online are like 50 to 80% accurate, especially females can really commonly type as a type two. And a lot of times type two males will not type as a type two because our society kind of ingrains us one way or the other. What I actually don't recommend that we take online quizzes because they can be more confusing than helpful. It's much more quick and easy to just read the descriptions of the types, read the motivations and the fears, and to see which one makes you feel the most uncomfortable. So I've shared this on my podcast before, but I am a three through and through. And when I read Mm -hmm. the three description, I cried a little bit (laughs) because it was Mm -hmm. so on point, but there were a a whole lot of unhealthy behaviors within the three that I take on, but it's helped me Mm -hmm. to navigate so much through why I feel the way that I do. It definitely made me feel a lot less alone especially as I meet Mm -hmm. people specifically in the podcasting world and kind of this world as a whole, I find a lot of threes with me and it's nice to be able Mm -hmm. to communicate with them, but it was so eye-opening for me. I was just going to ask, would you be able, this might be difficult, to address each number, one through nine, for those people who don't know much about the Enneagram or what each number represents, is there a way to define each number in just a basic form? Yeah. My favorite way to do this is to really think about what it is we think we have to be. I think our Enneagram type is how we've adapted to earn love and acceptance. And so I can kind of run through, give the title of the number and what we think we have to be. Perfect. So our type ones, they're the perfectionist and it's their belief that they have to be good and in integrity. Our type twos are the helper and it's their belief that love is something that they must earn. Like they need to be loved and liked and they do that through earning that love. Type threes are the achiever and the belief is that they need to earn their worth through achievements. 
Type fours are the individualist. And their belief is that they need to find and express a specific identity. Type fives are the investigator. And they believe that they have to be competent and capable and be informed. Type six is the loyalist. And they believe that they have to be safe and secure and to kind of test people to see who they can trust and who they can't trust. Type sevens are the enthusiast and they believe they have to be satisfied and not limited. Type eights are the challenger and they believe they have to be strong and not controlled by others. Type nine is the peacemaker and they believe they have to be easy to get along with and at peace internally. Wow. I've never heard it broken down like that. So that's informative. And Mm -hmm. I had mentioned the healthy versus unhealthy a little bit with my perspective. How do you know if you're on the healthy side of the spectrum, unhealthy? What does that really mean? And how can we grow to become healthy in our Enneagram number? So I think of it as all of our Enneagram books are going to break down for you what your low-level health behaviors are going to look like. And really the way that I like to talk about it is like, when am I on overdrive? Mm. Like all of our numbers... This thing that isn't necessarily in and of itself not good. It's great to want to be helpful. It's great to want to be successful. It's wonderful to want to be happy and satisfied. However, when we take that behavior and we overuse it when it's not necessary or when we try to control it or we try to force it to happen or we think if this isn't here, then I am somehow broken or flawed like or, an identity or thing, not kind worthy. Of. Yeah, when yeah. we over-identify with it, that's when it starts to not really serve us and it can start to really disintegrate into our relationship to ourselves and our relationship to others. How do you move away from those unhealthy habits? You can follow Enneagram and Coffee because it's so insightful. All of your posts are so good, which is why you have such an incredible following and engagement with your followers. Mm-hmm. But what resources can we use to continue to grow in our numbers and just in ourselves. So my book is called The Honest Enneagram. It's called The Honest Enneagram because I use the honest method, which is what I created to work with clients one-on-one with the Enneagram. And so I can break that down and talk about each step and how I think we should work with it. I really believe that we should start with honoring our strengths, creating a foundation of, of acceptance that One, this is something we're going to be in relationship to for the rest of our lives. Mm. So while we are not our Enneagram type, we will likely continuously be in relationship to these thought patterns, these behavior patterns until the day we leave this earth. And so with that in mind, we better start to really appreciate what it brings into our life first and foremost. And because when we start with the strengths, then we can create a healthy, loving, tender relationship to ourselves that is safe enough for us to move into the blind spots. So the second piece of this is opening our eyes to the blind spots, which are really just the areas in which we're on autopilot and we're not so aware of how we're over-functioning in our number and therefore not serving ourselves and others very well. And so once we've created that safe place, then we can move into our blind spots. The Enneagram does a beautiful job of kind of handing you, hey, here are some things you might not know you do and you might not know the impact they're creating. And it's uncomfortable and beautiful and you feel slightly isolated, but then also slightly comforted that there's more people like you out there. 
we look at our blind spots and then we note our motivators. So what is it that's driving you? What keeps you connected? How do you bring that intentionally into your life in a healthy way? And then how do you move through that temptation to move on that in autopilot as well? And then explore your relationships. So what are the people in your life? What are they driven by? What are their motivators? How do you show up in a relationship that doesn't serve you and others as well? The Enneagram really hands you that. But I think taking it step by step is really important Mm -hmm. so that we don't read our type, feel a little bit overwhelmed by it all, put it to the side and forget about it. I think we really have to break it down into chunks. The next piece is what I call softening your path. This is really about choosing the path of curiosity over the path of discipline. So when I talk about growth in the Enneagram, I really want to remove the concept that you can control, manipulate, discipline yourself to growth. Because if we're very honest, most self-help that I grew up learning really reinforces most of these Enneagram types. The idea that we can discipline ourselves, structure ourselves, control ourselves enough to be 10% better is really an illusion. And if we're really honest with ourselves, has not ever worked. And if we want to create sustainable growth, then we have to go from a lens of self-compassion. And we have to go from the place of, like if my kid is acting out and he's throwing a tantrum or acting weird, I have to ask myself, what is his unmet need? And it's the same with ourselves. So that's the whole philosophy of the soften your path met piece of this puzzle is what is your unmet need? And how can instead of trying to restrict yourself more, how can you instead love yourself more and meet the unmet need to get to where you want to go? And then the final piece of that is I call it turn it into something beautiful. It's my belief that we all are creative. We're all meant to create, not necessarily that we're all meant to be artists or all drawn to being artists, but we all have something inside of us that needs to be expressed. And we all do a really beautiful, interesting job of shutting ourselves down and keeping ourselves quiet. And we do it in different ways. You know, we think we have to do it the perfect way or it doesn't get to go out. We think we have to only serve other people and therefore it doesn't get to be shared. We think that we have to do it the way that someone else has done it because that's what worked before. Whatever way our type tricks us into thinking, we can't create. We have to really look into that and dive into that because everybody's voice matters. And if we all feel capable and competent to put our work out there, share what we have to share, then we're going to have more beautiful things out into the world. And I think the world is a better place when we do it. And we're better for it. That's so good three points. One, your voice is so soothing. <laughs> I, you're, you're just, you're so, it's so relaxing to listen to you. Two, I, you mentioned the illusion of thinking we can force ourselves, manipulate ourselves into thinking we can change. Do you feel or believe mm-hmm. that we can shift maybe? So say for me, there's this a desire to achieve, whether it's being successful in my relationships and making sure I'm always loving people well, or if it's in my business and always wanting to grow, that while I cannot force myself to stop wanting those things or changing those things, that I can shift them to a more selfless, less of an achieving perspective? Or do you feel like that's just innate and it will always be there? I think we can definitely shift it. I just think it's going to be easier and more sustainable if we do that shift from a place of nurturing 
and curiosity, then from a place of discipline and structure and control. One of the examples I use in the book is with type nines. So a lot of times Enneagram books, which I intentionally don't use this language in my book, but a lot of Enneagram books use the word lazy for type nines. And as I dissected the type nine and did more and more research and met more and more people and asked more and more questions, it really became clear that they're just the most receptive type on the Enneagram. Like they're Mm. taking in everybody's energy all day long, shrinking themselves, staying silent, making themselves smaller, making sure everyone's comfortable around them. And so just to operate in a given day as a type nine is significantly more exhausting than a less receptive number. And so... When we think about like the path of discipline, what they hear is you're lazy. Let's say I haven't worked out in three weeks. I'm lazy. That's the message. Then I need to set my alarm for 5 a.m. the next morning and wake up and work out. Well, you set the alarm, you hit snooze, and then it reinforces the idea, I am lazy. Versus I haven't worked out in three weeks. Why is that? Well, I'm tired. At the end of the day, I just want to watch TV. Well, why am I tired? oh, I spend all day long tending to the needs of everybody else and the energy of everybody else. What if I experiment with just being as selfish as possible for one week and see how much more energy I have Mm. at the end of this time? Which for my type, being as selfish as possible for a week as a type seven is not the prescription, (laughs) but it is for a type nine and maybe a type two. But for a type seven, it's more like, oh, I'm obsessing over the things over my next big thing. Why isn't that feeling good to me? Or, you know, why Mm -hmm. am I spending so much of my energy in the future? Oh, there's something not feeling good in my life right now, or I haven't meditated in a while. You know, it's so much more gentle and so much more actually getting to the root of the issue than if we just kind of try to treat the symptom and then apply these labels and, this control over ourselves, it just doesn't quite work in the same way. Hmm. I love that. We talk a lot about boundaries on the podcast and not boundaries. Like my perspective with boundaries is not to keep people out, to isolate ourselves, but to love people better. Because when we do spend that week of downtime, say as a nine, if you spend that week of downtime and rest and self-reflection and actually give yourself that time, you're also then able to love people better because you're not exhausted and worn out. Mm -hmm. And I think that plays into so many different personality types and seeing what are the things that exhaust me and wear me down and how do I move forward or shift, kind of like you're saying, in a healthy way by caring for myself so I can love people better. And so speaking on that topic, I'm not sure if you can speak to this because I know it's a big question, but like I've said on here, it's all about loving people well and pursuing those relationships and being intentional. I have found personally, I have a lot of sixes as friends. They're like my loyal lions. I just love that number. (laughs) And I, for whatever reason, it just clicks with me (laughs) because they're so faithful and they're so present and they're so willing to see beyond everything. And just, I feel very comfortable in being myself, but Mm -hmm. I do have the tendency to maybe lump them up, just put them together as if they're all kind of the same person. So if we have an issue, I'm like, okay, Uh there are six. So this is how I handle it. And I actually have one friend who's like, stop typing me right now. (laughs) Like I am my individual (laughs) self. 
I don't want to say that each number is the same and we deal with each person because they're all individual identities within themselves. They're all created Mm -hmm. individually. However, is there a way to best build up and encourage each of these Enneagram numbers? Of course, they have individual personalities, but do they have things Mm -hmm. in common where we could better love them? And if so, can you talk about each number and how to best love them? Yes, I would love to. The first thing that I will say to kind of to touch on what you mentioned about kind of grouping people together is that I highly encourage if we're seeking connection with the people in our lives, that we use the Enneagram for its language and not its numbers. So what I mean by that is we can ask the question, is this because are you feeling unsafe right now? Are you feeling like you can't trust this person or what would trusting me in this moment feel like to you? That's going to invite connection. Whereas Mm -hmm. saying, oh, this is a six moment. It creates disconnection. So I have to catch myself all the time with my type four husband. I have to like retract myself all the time. Like I'm like, oh, you're being such a four right now. (laughs) And and that's kind of an objectifying feeling, you know? I'll do it to him all the time. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do this to anyone else, but because I'm safe with him, I have to really pull back and say, oh, do you feel like you have more things you want to share here? Really dig in with the language I have of the Enneagram to make him feel more seen instead of put into a number. That's funny you say that. So because I just want to if, touch on that. Yeah, if I imagine just from that other perspective, if my husband were to say, you're being a three, I think I would be so offended, which is not an offensive thing to be that right. number, but it is putting you into a box. Mm-hmm. So that's really eye-opening. Yeah, but if you were to say, what is the story you're telling yourself about the potential of failing here? That would invite intimacy. He's still using the Enneagram, but it's inviting you to share more of you versus acting like he already knows. That's insightful. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey all, just a quick break because many of you have asked how you can support this ministry. One thing that you may not know is that the Living Easy podcast reaches far outside of the US. We have listeners in Saudi Arabia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, China, and more. The gospel is being spread literally around the world, and you can be a part of that. All you have to do is go to patreon.com backslash living easy to join. You can simply support the ministry with a few dollars a month or 10 cents per day, or you can join the coffee date thing or the bestie thing. With the coffee date thing, I am building real face-to-face friendships with the women who are a part of that community. I get on once a month on Zoom and we talk about real life and faith and marriage and relationships and just chat, real, real conversation. For the bestie thing, I want to support you. I will share one person per month on my social platform to over 40,000 followers and to tens of thousands of email subscribers and allow them to hear about your business or your social platform. So again, just go to patreon.com backslash living easy to check out all of the options. Thanks guys. The way I'll say that I am going to share this is what I have heard from most often from each number about what they want in their relationships. So type ones, they are very, very hard on themselves. And and part of that hard on themselves thing is feeling like they're too rigid, too serious, too stuffy. 
that's the message I get from a lot of ones is this fear of their rigidity. And so as someone who loves a type one, ways that we can show them that we see them accurately, because that's really important for our ones is that they want to know that we see them as good and they're going to really try to refine all the things about themselves until they have perfected what is good to them and to the world. And so as someone who loves them, we can reinforce like, hey, you made me feel good in this way. You are such a good person. Or I really appreciate that you showed up like this. A lot of times too, our, our types, I learned this from Peter O'Hanrahan, who's a narrative Enneagram teacher. And he talks about how each of the triads, so there's a gut triad, a heart triad, and a head triad. Type ones are a gut type. What he talks about is how a lot of times gut types show and receive love through action. And our type ones can get into this mentality of like, I do everything. I'm the only one aware of what needs to be done. And so a really good way to level one is practical of saying, what is it that is on your mind that needs to be done that I can do for you? That will go a long way with our ones. For our twos, the most important thing for the twos that I have interacted with has been words of affirmation. Like, they will do, go to the ends of the earth for you if you will just say thank you. <laughs> like, but if you want to so isolate yourself from a two, <laughs> then you don't say thank you. <laughs> and <laughs> It can be that simple. They really want to hear that you see them, that the effort that they're putting in is being recognized and appreciated. And so you can do that even when they're not doing things. It's a really good opportunity to say, I appreciate this thing about you rather than I appreciate this thing you did for me because that's going to reinforce their healthy relationship to self versus reinforcing the idea that love is earned. For our type threes, and Lindsay, correct me on this because you are the expert on being a type three because you are a type three, but (laughs) what I have heard the most... (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. Um, know, I I feel like I'm a crazy type, like three wing three, if that's even a thing. But I know I want to hear your perspective Mm -hmm. because I'm all about growth. (laughs) From what I have experienced with the type threes that I've interacted with, there've been kind of two big things. Number one, help them to relax. And the easiest way to do that is not going to be saying relax. It's going to be inviting them into relaxing experiences with you and making that the priority because they're going to overachieve in whatever they're doing. But if they're resting, a lot of times our type threes go through a little bit of shame in that rest phase. And so really inviting them in and being like, I want us to win at this. I want us to win at playing today. I want us to win at resting today. Who can rest the most? And I think that's a really (laughs) playful way to invite our threes into a shared playful space with us. I think to love a three that feeds into their soul. Like I say, you know, that's a way to love a three into their, their growth process. But to love a three where they are at, I really think it's about seeing and recognizing what they've done, honoring their achievements with them, letting them be proud of themselves with you telling them that you see what they're achieving, remind them of how much they've done already. One of my best friends is a type three. And one of my main jobs in his life is to say, do you remember when we used to not be able to fill our gas tanks up and we used to worry about that? And then look at you now. That allows him to sit in the present moment and to really see all that he's done instead of all that there is left to do. That's really good. Yeah. I I want to pause and let you tell me about that. (laughs) 
I'm thinking through like my moments of rest and I would agree with both of those. I think Mm -hmm. when I can comfortably sit, because there's a place of, I want to be so cautious in not feeling like my conversation about my ministry or my business coming off boastful. I don't want that because it's not about that for Mm -hmm. me. It's not about proving to other people. It's about proving to myself that I can accomplish what I've set out before Mm me. My people are definitely the people where maybe they're on equal playing level, just like in different areas of life, but we can share in those things. When I feel like I can't talk about my achievements because I don't want to make anyone feel a certain way or to feel like I'm prideful or something like that, then I definitely don't feel as comfortable. And so I think like you're saying with your friend and telling him, look what we've done. This is so cool that it's almost like equal playing field because you're both in that realm and you're both doing well, that that is comfortable for me. But then also the resting thing. It's definitely the people who I can go to their house and I can be a scrub and I don't have to perform, which nobody forces me to perform but there are just those relationships that Mm -hmm. make you feel like, okay, I can't be fully myself. And I don't know that that's on them. It might be on me. I like how you said, let's see how well we can rest today where friends like my Mm -hmm. sixth friend actually will call me and be like, hey, no cleaning your house. I just want you to show up where you're (laughs) at. Don't clean your house before I come over. Don't make an elaborate dinner. Let me help you. And let's chill. Like, can you chill today? (laughs) You know, and it's so freeing for me because I am kind of being challenged to do so. And it's like, can I achieve that today? Yeah, I cannot clean my house today. Mm -hmm. So that's actually very wise. And I would agree with you. I love hearing you say that you have a friend like that. And we all need that friend. But I Mm -hmm. think especially our threes need someone, at least one person that brings them back down to the reality of what it feels like to be them right now. Yeah. So our type fours, our type fours, a really important thing to do for our type fours is to really let them finish talking. And what I mean by that is, is type fours like to express themselves. They like to have their feelings and their thoughts heard. They may take a long time to get those thoughts out. They really enjoy the process of sharing their thoughts. So they might meander in it and let them have that. If you can and really be present with them, meet them where they're at and match their depth they're going to feel the most connected and loved. The other thing about our type fours, they kind of do this funny thing where they want you to want them around and they may not want to go. And so (laughs) fours really need you to pursue them and then not to be offended when they don't come. The most important thing is that they feel invited, but maybe not to actually do the thing. So keep in touch. They're probably not going to be the one that reaches out to you more often. So if you can pursue them a little bit more, it will mean a lot to them. And then our type fives, they're a little bit more boundaried and private than our type fours might be. Type fours really like to share themselves, whereas type fives really feel afraid of people coming into their space and into their inner, taking their energy from them. And so one of the main ways to love our fives is to not take that personally. When they want to go off on their own, recharge, do their own thing, Don't assume that they're closing you out, but assume that they're just recharging and they'll be back when they're ready. But also, if you can, invite them into connecting with you emotionally. Try to hold back your expressive empathy. 
And here's what I mean. Type fives, they need to share themselves with people, but there's a little bit of fear and a little bit of overwhelm when the people in their lives express emotion at them about their feelings. They're usually fine with you. Like if I'm near a type five, I'm breaking down. A lot of times our type fives can be like stable and calm and confident and the logical one. And they can really let me break down in front of them and they're not phased and can be a really great support in those moments. But they need that space held for them too. And it can feel like they can't have that space if we break down when it's taken. My husband is a type five. And I would say that is so spot on accurate because he, just as you say that energy level, it's like he has this battery. And once the battery starts to run out, I've lost him. And I can tell immediately, Uh okay, you need to be refilled. And we learned actually in one of my past podcasts about the Enneagram, I spoke with Beth McCord and she had shared how if they have plans and they're like, okay, by four o'clock, my battery is going to be drained. And then I tell them at six o'clock, hey, we're actually going to have people over. Like that response that I receive from him is that drained feeling, but he's so Mm -hmm. supportive. He's that calm, like stable foundation as well in just when I'm expressing. So yes, everything you're saying for him at least is 100% accurate. Yeah, I love that. And I love our fives. I engage with fives mostly in environments where I think they've stored up their energy. And so they're like sociable and like fun and playful and light. And when we read the description of a five, we get this like very serious description. And it's like, well, no, but as the energy fades, they recoup in kind of, I guess, serious ways or sincere ways. But there is a lot of energy there. It's just kind of managed and allocated intentionally. Yes. So our type sixes, our type sixes really want you know that you want them around. That's very important. Make sure that they know that they're always invited. Make sure that they know that you think about them when they're not there. The sixes in our lives might need a little bit more support in making decisions. And the best way to love them in their path of growth is to, when they ask you advice, point them back to themselves. So ask them really good questions, encourage them to treat themselves as their authority. But don't lose patience with the fact that they have questions because the questions are going to be there. And the more that you can show them that you're available and listening, the more it's going to mean to them. I've heard a lot of type sixes say that if they feel like you tune out when they're talking, they receive that as information that they can't trust you. And obviously, you know, there's a testing period with our sixes, kind of like a are you in or are you out? And once you get in, the big fear there is not as much, can I trust you, but am I going to let you down? The sentence I hear most from sixes in my life is, I'm afraid I'm going to let them down. And so really encouraging our sixes to trust themselves, to feel comfortable doing what they need to do for themselves, pushing them a little bit out of their comfort zone is a really good way to love them in their path of growth. For our type sevens, um, so type sevens really respond well to being seen. All head types do. Again, this is like from Peter O'Hanrahan from the narrative school, but the head types, five, six, and seven, really like to be seen and they love by seeing you. Sevens really want to be seen and they want to connect with you intellectually. They want to share their ideas 
And the best way to love them is to not ever shoot their ideas down. So when they give you an idea, just let it be. Don't try and qualify it. Don't try to like fix it. Don't try and make them think it through yet. If you want to love them, let them have positive belief in all the ideas. Now, if you want to love them in their path of growth, allowing them to be sad with you is a really important thing. So a way to do this is when we read about sevens, we think about them as being just happy all the time. And it's really less like that, I would say. It's more like their sadness is a private experience. So there's very few people that most type sevens can express the darker emotions to. I can speak for myself. So as a seven myself, the sentence I get a lot is, no one's that happy all the time about me. (laughs) And no, I'm not. Of course I'm not. Mm -hmm. Like I just smile when I walk into the coffee shop and then I leave and I cry in my car. Like you just don't see it. And so that energy of come as you are, you talked about your friends saying like, don't clean your house. Sevens need to hear, no, come even though you're sad. You don't have to be the life of the party. You don't have to bring the sunshine. I love you even in your darkest moments. The times in which I have felt the most love from my husband is when I am like on the floor crying and he still wants to hang out with me because I feel this obligation to be the fun one and the happy one and the positive one. And it can feel like if that happiness goes away, then that's the only thing that keeps people close to me. That's the only reason people want to be around me in my mind. And so if they still want to be around you, even when you're hard to be around, that's the good stuff, right? I have a seven friend and that's so insightful for me. I don't have many sevens in my life, at least that I know of, but I love her so much. But that really does make sense because I feel like she kind of disappears or maybe just goes, internalizes a little bit when she's feeling sad. And then when she's better Mm -hmm. is when she shows up. I would say that was at the beginning. But as our relationship grew, it became more of like a safe place. We're very close. We've known one another for years that there was more of a comfort to be around when she was feeling that way. But for years before that, as we grew in our relationship, it was the joy factor. So that's just really insightful for me. And I think even my closest friends, my husband will point out to me, oh, hey, you put your party voice on when you went in, when we hung out with I mean, Tyler and Eric tonight. You like had your party pants on, which what that means is like, I'm pretending to be energied up and yeah. I'm smiling, I'm making jokes. And then like I leave and I crash And it's like, I didn't give myself to these people in this moment. Mm -hmm. I put up my shield, my happy shield, and it kept me safe in theory, but but sometimes that also limits connection. I can relate so much to that with the camouflaging as a three and going in Mm -hmm. and like my friends will say, she's not always like this. She's not always bubbly off the wall. But when I feel like that's who I need to be in that moment, especially in large gatherings and stuff, when I come home, it's the exact same where I'll, I feel like I'd crash. Like mm-hmm. I can't even have my dogs in the room. I totally self-isolate and just have to recharge and then I'm ready for it again. For me, I'm not mm-hmm. letting people in when I'm camouflaging and putting on this front, which isn't to be necessarily to be seen in a certain way, but I think it's maybe like a self-protection type thing, but that could be a whole other conversation. So we can go to the eight. So our type eights, this is the easiest one for me to do. Type eights need you to be strong. 
They have received the message their entire life that they have to power up, they have to be strong, and they can't be the one to break down because Mm. people in the world need them to be a leader. And the easiest way to love an eight is when they show anger that we ask them, what's underneath the anger? What are you scared of right now? And then just hold yourself strong and firm and don't break down. Because eights over-function in almost every area of their lives. They really power up all the time. And there's not a lot of chance for them to rest. And so if we want to love an eight, we need to be the strong one so that they don't feel like they have to be. And and kind of think of the energy of an eight. We talk about twos doing this all the time, like scanning a room, looking for a need, being the one to meet that need. Eights do the similar energy of scanning a room, looking for something, but they're looking for the leadership. And if there isn't leadership, then they feel responsible to take that role on. So if no one's volunteering to carve the turkey, the eight's going to step in and carve the turkey that kind of energy. And so if they're in an emotional crisis and they need support, but there's no leadership, there's nowhere to go. And so they need to know that you're going to power up and you're going to be strong so that they can break down. Finally, our type nines. Loving a type nine is really about making it harder for you to be with them. (laughs) What I mean by that is... You know, I go to these conferences and we do these Enneagram panels where all of the different numbers, we get on a panel and you hear them all talk. You know, you ask about marriage and they say, well, marriage is easy because I'm married to a nine. And that's true. It is easy to be married to a nine. And that's the problem because it's so easy that we don't realize how much they're sacrificing micro sacrifices all day, every day, just to make it easy for us to feel like we can be ourselves. So in a relationship with a nine, you have this beautiful luxury of being 100% yourself without judgment, without anyone trying to control you, but they don't have that. So Mm. we have to really stop and be like, hey, I need you to say some things that are going to make me mad at you. Because the more mad I can be at you, the more that I love you, the more that I'm able to know you and love the real you. You know, nines really struggle with that passive aggressive stuff, right? Like that, like, kind of compiling up of these little micro sacrifices until, like, no more. And so, what we have to do with our nines is really check in with them on a regular basis and say, hey, like, are there things that you're sacrificing right now? Or is that really what you want? And make sure they feel safe to ask for what they need, ask for what they want. The other thing that we have to do with our nines is not interrupt them because nines will never interject. They will never, or rarely, you know, as they go on their growth path, nines will learn to interject, but their natural impulse is to let everyone else finish their thought and sentence and to not insert themselves. And they might think, my opinion's not that important, or it's not necessarily for me to talk up, or everyone's already talking, we don't need more voices in here. So intentionally asking them for their opinion and their thought is really important. And then listening to that thought all the way through, not inserting yourself and asking clarifying questions. Because the message that our nines heard as children was that we're all better off if you're invisible. And so if we want to rewrite that message with them, then what we can do is make sure that they know we want to see them. We want to see them even if it makes us angry. We want to see them even if they're not trying to be seen in that moment. We're going to ask them things and that we're curious about them. We have more things we want to know that not only did they say the sentence that they were going to say, but I want to hear more. And then finally, a big thing that happens to our nines is 
they'll be in a group of people talking. They'll say something and no one will hear it. And if you catch it and you feel confident, pull the energy of the room to them and say, hey, what did you say? So that everyone can hear their thought because that is a very, very common experience for most nines. I feel like I've learned so much from you and my relationships, my people are just so important to me. And so of course I have to balance this like Mm -hmm. we talked about at the beginning, but it's just really helpful. And that's why I love the Enneagram. I know there are some people who I have heard received comments every time I talk about it, its roots and all kinds of things. But I just feel like it is what we make it. And the fact that it is so in depth about our personalities and it, it helps to guide relationships is really, really important. Thank you so much, Sarah Jane. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom and your patience in sharing all of this and just for the platform that you have and just using it in the way that you do. Because I feel like yours specifically, Enneagram and Coffee, is so intended to build up and it's so intended to encourage and point Mm -hmm. people to the best version of themselves to live life with purpose and with joy and with love and grace. And, And so I just admire that so much. And I'm so thankful for women like you who are just boss babes and working it and making it something that has a foundation and a really solid foundation to help people live Mm -hmm. a really joyful, good life. So thank you for that. And thank Mm -hmm. you for your time. And I'm just really thankful to have the opportunity to connect with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. So if you all want to check out Sarah Jane, you can go to Enneagram and Coffee on Instagram and you can check out her book, The Honest Enneagram and her podcast, The Honest Enneagram Podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to rate and review the podcast, please take a second to scroll down on iTunes, give a quick star rating and review. This helps to get guests like Sarah Jane on the show who share their wisdom and honest perspectives about all the things and also to continue on the path of podcasting, which is such a joy. So thank you all so much. Follow along with me on Instagram at livingeasypodcast and at lindsay.myestis. And then again, Sarah Jane's Enneagram and Coffee. We'll talk to you guys next Monday. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, the best thank you you could ever offer is to share the love. The simple act of taking a quick screenshot of the episode and tagging at Living Easy Podcast makes such a huge difference in this journey. If you're impacted, someone else might be too, so don't hesitate to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. Also, if you haven't already, please do scroll down from this episode to give a star rating and quick review for the podcast. It only takes a minute, but the impact is huge. Thank you all so much for your support. Feel free to connect with me on Instagram at livingeasypodcast and at lindsay.myestis. Love you guys.